Hey, it's Dan here. If you want to hear this episode of the Backchat Podcast without ads and get extra content that no one else gets, head to backchatstudios.com.au where you can sign up as a patron and access all of our bloody good merch. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. All right, here we go. Special edition from the Gold Coast. Back chat. Uh, driven by Fleet Network for season 2023. I don't know if we've had a more credentialed guest in here, to be honest. I mean, this guy's a world champ. You have not. <laughs> we are joined today by Showtime Sean Porter, yeah. mate. Great to have you here. I'm happy to be here. Uh, good to meet you. Good to be yeah. with you. We're on the Goldie. We're not in Perth. We're West yeah. Australian podcast. Yeah. Uh, we speak to sporting guests all around the world, but I, yeah. you're the first world champ we've had on, I reckon. Hey, man, I'm happy to be here. Uh, I'm going to apologize in advance. No, I don't normally sound like this. Uh, Jet lag? No, I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> but I do know that I'm fine now. I'll be good to go. Where did you fly in from? Uh, I started in Las Vegas. That's where I'm from. Yeah. Uh, Vegas to San Fran, San Fran to here. Right. So. You got here yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> I got here yesterday. I probably got to my room and maybe an hour later was headed to the press conference. I saw you. You were just straight into it, dressed up, suit on. I love it. I love it. It's just This is like one of the few times that it actually, you can hear it and, and see that something's a little off, you yeah. know, but I feel great. Though. Right. So um, back chat, I know you're probably a big fan, but if you're not, right? I'm not. We're, all right, so we ask. Never uh, heard of well, it. Hey. Come on. We're going to get it over to the States. So, I mean, that's what you're doing here. So, we ask the first question to every guest we ever have on, right? I know you're a world champ boxer, right? I know you've knocked people out. Yeah. I know what your record is. Yeah. But the first time, I want to say, I don't care just for a little bit. I want to know your greatest sporting achievement. Okay. Not in the boxing ring. Yeah. I don't want to know about your boxing career. We're going to get into that. I want to know what you've done outside of boxing. Yeah. So, like, you saw this. Here's a cricket ball. My co-host Dan Const, who's behind the cameras today, he took five wickets for twelve for sixteen in an under twelve game. I was the state eighty meter. Yeah, no you clue what that means. <laughs> I was the state eighty meter hurdle champion. Right? Oh wow! Yeah, very so, good. Yeah, thank you. I yeah, like so that. he was impressed with like that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, good. what do you got for us? You got a sporting achievement. I got something great for you. Oh. Well, I mean, this yeah. is probably more more great for American because it's American football. Uh, a lot of people don't know this. I grew up playing both boxing and well, boxing, but and also playing football my entire life. American football, that is. Um, when I was in high school, I went to the same high school as a Hall of Fame running back, Larry Zonka. Wow. Uh, Larry Zonka played for Miami, um, the Miami Dolphins for quite a while, and uh, he went to the same high school that I did. 
uh, in high school, I was all everything. And um, I had uh, a game where I had five touchdowns in the... I had five touchdowns, uh, four touchdowns in the first half, and uh, that's not common. <laughs> were that, were that man, I know. Were they throwing the ball or just so, giving it? They just well, running the rock. I was that good. <laughs> <laughs> I was that good. I was a running back. I had four touchdowns in the first half, and uh, we were we were up twenty eight nothing, give or take. And so we knew that hey, at some point, Sean's Sean's probably going to start the second half, and then he'll be out of the game, and that's it. And uh, actually, no, I had five touchdowns in the first half. And um, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm butchering this right now. I had four touchdowns in the first half. Yes, all right, let's you go with it. that. We'll go with four touchdowns. In the first. <laughs> so I come out, and I mean, the first play, the first drive, I get another, the next touchdown. Right. So I get five touchdowns, right? So you're gonna have twenty. You're thinking yeah. I'm gonna have twenty. Yeah. Well, I got, I got five, and at this point, it's kind of the thing we know that when you are blowing out a team, you sit your best players. Yeah. You know, the players who don't have an opportunity to play, play. You don't just continue to drive up the score and you end the game with 70 points, things like that. So we all knew that I was going to be sitting shortly after the second half. We come out, first drive, another touchdown, I got five touchdowns, and I'm sitting down. I'm sitting down and everybody's running up to me. You're about to break Larry Zonka's record. I'm like, who's that and what does that mean? And someone like explains to me that, hey, Larry Zonka went to this high school. He has six touchdowns. You're about to break his record. You just need two more. I didn't even know how many touchdowns I had at that point. So I'm like, all right, cool, but I'm not going back into the game. And I had already known that the coaches, I mean, like, this is an easy night for us, you know? And a couple more people come up to me telling me how great of a moment in sports at that school I was having. Shout out to Stowe Monroe Falls High School. They're telling me about how great of a moment that I'm having. And then it starts to kind of resonate with me. Like, wow, you are doing something great here. And my dad is, he he comes down over the gate. He says, he says, hey, you need one more. I looked at him I'm like, I'm not going back in the game. He said, you need to get one more. I'm like, what do you want me to do? Like, You're not going back in the game. I can't like force myself back in the game until uh, this is a rare occasion for us to be up as much as we are. Yeah. And punt return goes into the game. That's when the yeah. team punts it to us. Yeah, we yeah. run it back. And Will you return it? I was the returner. And because we're never in this position, there's no second returner. Nobody knows who, who, no one knows to run out on the field because I'm sitting. I'm not, no one's used to me sitting. And so I hear all this hustle and this bustle about somebody's got to go in, somebody's got to go in. And I was like, here's my chance. I threw my my helmet on and as I'm running onto the field, there's somebody else like darting onto the field to reach. I said, get out, get out, get out. He gets off the field. I get on the field, and I'm like running as the punt's coming. I catch the punt, and I return it for a touchdown. No. So the most, uh, I would say, uh, probably greatest moment for me in sports outside of boxing, tying Larry Zonka's touchdown record at my high school was that six. That is unreal. In three, in three quarters, yeah. So this is in Ohio, right? You went yeah. to high school at- Akron, yeah. yeah. Right? So this is Northeast Ohio. Yeah, Akron is the uh, is the bigger city uh, in this part of, of of Northeast Ohio. And then I went to a suburb high school yeah. of Akron, which is uh, Stowe is the suburb, and then Stowmore Falls High School was the name of the high school. Um, so you mentioned your dad Kenny in, yeah. in that in that he, everywhere. He, he played a big 
big part in your sporting life, right? Everywhere. Or should I just say life? Yeah. Um, I look at myself. My son's a five and the other one is almost three. Same. And um, I do not know if they're going to do sports whatsoever. And I kind of look at myself and I put the blame on myself because I remember being five years old. I was already in the boxing gym, but I was already like catching footballs and running around all the time. These guys, they just go out and get on the swings all the time. They jump on the trampoline all the time. And I'm every now and then that's like I hurt my heart thinking, like, are they gonna be into sports? And I feel like it's my fault that they're not at that point that I was yeah. this early on in life. You know? I mean, so your dad was in, in, in your corner, right? Oh yeah. My dad has been every step of the way. Um, mom and dad both. And um I mean, I just, I think collectively, I, I'm honestly, man, I'm, I'm where I'm at today because both my mom and my dad, they had this core um, understanding of what just life value is. And my dad really, I think he really got that point across to me at a young age, um, had me shaking hands, yes, sir, no, sir, at a very young age, and just taught me respect. You know, my mom has always been the most genuine person that I've known, has always been the most gracious and giving person that I know. And I, I feel like I have the best of both worlds inside of me. And I mean, I think that every door is open to me because of that. That sacrifice? Like, do you, do you look back at what they did for you, you know, sporting, like, like or was it just a part of it? Like, it was, it was, I always thought it was a part of it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but now Until you're a parent you, yourself. Well, yeah, you become a parent yourself and you realize how much things are for, you know, just two to three months of, of putting a, your child into a little league, this or whatever. And it's like, wow, like there, there was true sacrifice. Mm. Um, meals were smaller because of certain reasons. And uh, I'm, I'm just grateful. So, at what point do you make the transition from six touchdowns in the yeah. high school game to yeah. boxing? Or is it side by side? No, that actually, it was easy because of that reason, actually. Uh, even though I had six touchdowns in that one game, the two two different high schools teams that I played for, they both were really, really bad. And when I had the decision to make in terms of going to college to play football or continuing my, my career boxing, not taking any time away from boxing to do football, could always come back to boxing, but I felt like one had to go and the other one had to, to stop. Huh. And I just looked at it and said, man, I could end up in college with a similar team as both of those, and I'm not enjoying football anymore. Yeah. And I came to my dad and said, hey, listen, I said, we both know what, we're gonna, what I'm going to do in the boxing ring. So I know what you're going to do and you know what I'm going to do. I got 10 other guys I got to worry about on the football field to know if they're giving it all they got like me. I don't want to deal with that anymore. And my dad was like, all right, we'll, we'll go for it, you know. So it sounds like from a young age you're driven by winning. Oh, yes. What, what, what drives One, it? 100%. Because that's you didn't want to lose. 100%. Yeah. I mean, and as a kid, that's all you know. Uh, all you know is the trophies. All you know is the traveling and, and the and the the qualifications to get to the next step, and it's always revolves around winning, yeah. you know. And so, uh, yeah, I'm probably I'm a hard competitor. Yeah. Um, like I compete in anything that we do. Uh, my wife and I, we were at home the other day, and my son thought we were arguing. We're playing a game, <laughs> but I go hard. You know? That's yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, so you make that jump uh, and and full commitment, but yeah. now for our listeners. Um, we've never had a boxer on. We have some UFC guys on, but like boxing, there's the you know the, the amateur circuit effectively, yeah. and then you got to go pro. So yeah. 
before you do that, you've got to go through some fights. Yeah. Like you, you fought over 200 amateur fights yep. before you fight a professional fight. Yep. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, there's really no true way to turn professional in boxing. I actually had an opportunity. I wanted to turn pro right out of high school. I was 19 years old. Right. I'm ready to go. My dad said, hey, let's wait. You can make the Olympic team, and then we'll move on beyond that. So, yeah, I probably had a, probably another 20 to 30 more amateur fights than I for the Seguars needed to have, had to have. But, yeah, I think I ended my my amateur career with close to not not quite 300 fights. Yeah. I, like more than 250, but it less than 274. Yeah, like right around in there, you know, and fought a lot of hard, competi- uh, tough competitors. Uh, I, I like to think that between amateur and pro, I've been in the ring with just about everybody in the world. Yeah, you know, and um, and I'm healthy, you know. So that's that's the most important. Well, you thing. look at it and you sound. I know you're a little jet lag, but that's I don't okay. sound healthy. No, that's okay. But I'm healthy. Yeah, correct. So like that time in, in the amateurs, basically, you must, you know, boxing's boxing. Yeah. Like you're still fighting. It's yeah. not like pros and amateurs. I mean, you're still fighting. Some still fighting. You must yeah. be learning. Yeah. Like, yeah, that um, you must look back on that and be like, "Wow, I learned a lot." There. Absolutely. I mean, even again, like I was, I graduated high school in 2006. I told my dad I wanted to turn pro. He said, "Let's wait until this Olympic run. I think you're going to make it." Mm. That's another two years that I waited to be become a professional fighter. Is that the, is this the 2008 Olympics yep. you're shooting for? Yeah, yeah. Right? Yep. I made it as an alternate for the Olympic team. Wow. And but that's two more years to grow, two more years to mature, two more years to travel the world and see a lot of different things in and out of the ring. I got I got two more years under my belt until uh, before I even became a professional athlete. Or a lot of young men are turning pro at 16, 17. I'm not knocking any of them, but it's like I always say, number one, like you just said, when you train, you're still getting hit. Yeah, you know, and so even from that standpoint, you really have to monitor, monitor, monitor how much you train and spar and things like that. But even when you turn pro, a lot of these guys are young, getting hit with grown by grown men, you mm-hmm. know. And so it was like collectively all the way around. I was just ready when those moments came. So you're the alternate for the Olympics. Was it? Yeah. Do you look back now and you know, not you know, wish things could have been differently, but you know, you just miss out on being the guy. Um, Is that? Well, for my weight class, I had the toughest weight class in the trials. And I mean, uh, the six guys that show up in the division, all six of us were national champions. You know, wow. there were no guys who just snuck into the trials and they were an easy night and everybody's like, I hope I get him the first night. None of that in my in my weight class. And I ended up uh taking third in the trials. The number two guy, he went on to turn pro and we moved into that alternate position. Huh. And um the way I look at it, man, I, I know without a doubt I would have come back to the United States with a medal. Mm. You know, I think that um, from a standpoint of the Olympic Games, I think I had a heart for the Olympic Games that the guys in my division didn't have. And I think especially the guy who ended up representing us. He he was the sleeper in the tournament and ended up making it, you know, and huh. that's just how it goes, you know. It is. Yeah. You look back on that like that that's But but think about it. If I if I go to the to uh China and I come back with a bronze or silver or gold, my career goes much faster than expected. Uh I'm not probably not put in certain positions that I that I was afforded to be in now yeah. or you know through through my career, you know? And so the way I look at it, man, everything happens for a reason and um you know, I don't I don't really have any regrets about it. So um, you turned pro not long after that, though. So the Olympics yeah. must have been middle of that year, October 2008, you yep. turned pro. Yeah. 
We're in to, we're in 2023 now. Yeah. Man, like it's a, a long journey. It's a long journey, but it feels like the snap of a finger now. Really? Long as, can I say that? Yeah. Long as journey. Yeah. You know, between uh, being an amateur boxer and getting into the ring for my last time as a professional fighter, a long journey yeah. and, and um, you know, a lot of ups, downs. Um, always, I like to say, man, the blood, the sweat, the tears, literally all three I've had, I've had simultaneously. <laughs> I've had, I've had in the gym, I've had actual fights. I mean, the list goes on. So boxing, I think is one of those sports that when you look back on it, um, or, or I hope that these fighters, when they look back on it and they, they find themselves healthy, they find themselves with more wealth than when they came in. And they find themselves in a position to do other things in life. I hope that more fighters are able to do that. That's yeah. that's what I was able to do with my career. Just put myself in a position to still be healthy, uh, have more wealth than when I went way more wealth than when I went in, and I'm able to do other things outside of outside of boxing. We're going to get into some of those things in a little bit. Now you've got your own podcast, The Port Away. Very away impressed podcast. with what you're doing over there. Yeah. Really impressed. Thank you. I never sound like this on the podcast. And I know you're thinking, why doesn't he just blow his nose? I have. Don't worry about that. <laughs> so, okay. You turned pro 2008. Um, again, like talking about this like long journey stuff, like there's sort of a five, six you know, year journey to become, well, to win your first world champion. You become the first world champion in 2013, 2014. You're the IBF world champion. What's that? What's that? What's that like? I mean- that build up and we can't break down every fight you've ever been yeah, in. But yeah. like 2008 that's six years as a pro yeah. then you get your you get your shot i mean it, it flew by um when i first turned pro for me it was just about fighting and, and making money and winning mm. um it really i didn't really truly have goals when i first turned pro when that um opportunity to fight for the ibf it came that was never a goal for for me personally it wasn't a championship wasn't the goal. So really all I knew was fighting, putting money in the bank, and just continuing to win. When that opportunity came, it was just another fight for me. The interesting part about that is I fought Devin Alexander, who had already been a world champion and had just recaptured the title and things like that. No one knew who I was. Hmm. And so you hear a lot of talk, all of the talk was – Devin Alexander's taking on this young guy. He doesn't have anything for him. What's next for Devin? And it was enough to spark that fire inside of me. Do you love that? Be yeah, because I, I'm a winner. And so <laughs> it's okay if you think that I'm going to lose, but the way it was being projected that there's no way I could beat Devin. And I, in retrospect, I get it. I just didn't have the profile that he had. Yeah. But for me, I took it personal. And and it was enough for me to have this mental drive and this competitive drive to just go in there. I literally won every single round of that fight. After the fight ends and, and I'm called as the winner, like, I don't even know, like, how do you respond to becoming a world champion, you know? So, like, I'm standing in the middle of the ring. I already knew that I won. And I'm like, let me just close my eyes and try to remember this moment. <laughs> you know, what I mean? like, I don't really, I didn't know how to handle it, you know? We win, we go in the back room, and it's like, all right, let's put that with all the rest of them, <laughs> you know? Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, because for me, that wasn't, a, it wasn't a true goal of mine. It was just the another, the, the next stop, hmm. you know? It was another day at work for me. You know, and I still, even from a maturity standpoint, I wasn't mature enough to understand 
what what these moments meant. Yeah. I think after that, it really matured me and helped me grow into who I started to become in the ring. Do you remember getting the belt on? Like, I'm assuming, like, you get a big belt. Well, there's video. So, (laughs) I'll I'll explain. Yeah. Because there's video of that. And again, like, I just truly did not understand. But after I won, and I'll tell a long story short. So, I went to IBF a year, like... The the fall late the fall the next fall I lose I lose the title the next fall the next fall I sound like you guys the next fall <laughs> I I lose the title I'm sorry I lose the title yeah. the next fall and I'm at a WBC convention and they want me to get on the stage with all of the other world champion WBC champions and I'm like I don't belong up there I'm not a WBC champion no but you've become a world champion going up there and I mean Mike Tyson is up there Evander Holyfield is up there my favorite fighter Marvelous Marvin Hagler was up there I mean the list goes on Lennox Lewis was up there Roy Jones was up there wow. the li- everybody's up there and I didn't feel like I belonged huh. I, felt, I felt like that wasn't my place even though I had become a world champion I wasn't a WBC champion huh. and so that's when the goals started to kind of become realities for me. It was like, you can't go up there again until you become a world champion. That's interesting. And so I made winning the WBC title my goal. Huh. And I also made a goal to not, not go back to any more WBC conventions until I was a champion. Really? Yep. And I won that title, uh, the WBC, I, I think I won in September of 18. Yep. And then I was in Ukraine in like October or November at the next WBC convention. <laughs> Get me off on that stuff. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> and that's, but that's how I work. Yeah. You know, and that's how I've always worked. You look at the podcast uh, and the way that things are working for the podcast. I, I'm, I, I've always been goal oriented, mm. but with the sport of boxing, it wasn't, it was just kind of, Boxing was always extracurricular for me. Football was always my main focus. And then so when the switch came and boxing became the main thing, for me mentally, emotionally, that switch didn't happen like instantly. It took a long time for that switch to come for me. So you said 2013, that first world title, uh, world championship, um, it was a personal fight for you. I think people who don't watch boxing understand boxing. And so I'm from a professional athlete career, but well, background being personal like i think people that watch boxing would think well every fight would be personal i mean you're in a you're in a you're in a ring fighting somebody like how can it not be personal yeah yeah like but i assume you would go up and down with right this is just today's you know it's it's a job yeah no personal yeah yeah. is that right it's every fight is different you know um my fight with errol spence jr it was a little more personal than most of the fights that i had and that was because uh, again, like people were saying, Sean's going to get knocked out. Sean's not going to win all these things. And it just kind of took me to another level. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, he personally had said some things about the way I fought, not being it, like I wasn't a good, sharp fighter. I was really sloppy. I mean, like just took me to another level from a personal standpoint. Yeah. I fought Keith Thurman in 2016 and it wasn't personal, even though he and I had traveled the country fighting at different tournaments. We even fought on the same team one time in an international duel. And so where I had a friendship with Keith, it was like, we'll put the friendship aside. This is all business. And yeah. then we'll go back to being friends. And so it just kind of, every fight is a little different depending Which on. Which is, I mean, that's just, you know, it's crazy. I think for people again, who just like might say boxing, it's like, well, 
about to knock each other out. Well, that's the part that people don't really, they don't understand. Mm. Like when you see a face-off, you're expecting somebody to get yeah. swung on. When you watch, <laughs> you know, when, when you listen to a, a press conference, you look, you're listening for, I'm going to beat this, I'm going to do that. This, all these personal things, it's really just most of us, especially at the elite level, are trained to do this. Mm. We're not trained from a personal standpoint. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're trained from a professional standpoint. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's something that a lot of people, when they, if you, if you turn on a fight and you don't know who either fighter is, a press conference, you turn it on, you don't know who either fighter is, it'll turn you off and not make you want to watch the fight mm. because they're being cordial, they're being respectful, things like that. That's what we're taught. We're taught how to be respectful. We're taught how to have gamemanship and things like that, mm. you know? But if you turn on the on the on the on the on the TV and you see two guys going back and forth, you're like, "Oh, this is gonna be good." That fight when they weren't talking, probably is gonna be better than that one. Because they're usually the guys who talk a lot are the guys that can't fight. <laughs> yeah, that's why. I mean, we're, yeah. we're over here on the Gold Coast. We saw a press conference yesterday. There were some guys running their mouths, and I, I was I was laughing, and I, it made me think. You know, like what? How much is real? Yeah, yeah. Like I'm I'm watching it yesterday. I'm like, well, I know that guy, and. I know. I realize now that he's talking because the other guy's talking. You know, like I don't know that guy. He's talking a lot. I don't. I don't. He's like I'm kind of sold. I think this is gonna be a great fight. You know, but then I'm like, uh, he's talking a, a little bit too much. You know. Yeah. So, but everybody has their way of selling a fight. Yeah. You know, um, I've always been under the understanding that you speak your heart and your mind, and people will will appreciate it. And you know, I think that that's that's why I am who I am today. You know, what about preparing for fights? Like, there's the physical nature, there's the mental aspect, what we're kind of talking about yeah. now. Um, you, you're done now. You're retired. Yeah. Do you miss that physical preparation yeah. side, that camp, that that preparing for an opponent, single-minded? Absolutely not. Really? Absolutely not. I. Uh, that's interesting. I was in the sauna the other day, and my heart rate went up a little bit for, higher than I w would like it to. <laughs> And I started having flashbacks of certain moments in training. And I was like, yeah, let's not do that again. You know, yeah. I, I don't miss that part of it. That part is very rigorous. It's very, very tough. And it's, it's it weighs you down physically and mentally, emotionally. The, the list goes on. Did you like it when you were in it? Um, if you can reflect now. I always liked the last week of training. <laughs> the last week of training, we, we call it peak week. And for a lot of fighters, that is the week where they get the best of everything. You know, for me, peak week was when my when my weight when my weight was low enough for me to still perform at a high level. Yeah. But I could look at my weight, and I was close enough to my weight class. Uh. You know, so emotionally, mentally, I was connected to training that whole week. Peak week was the week where it was going to be the last sparring session. It was going to be the last hard sparring session. It was going to be last 12 rounds more, like all these different things. And so I looked forward to peak week because I knew that all that shit was ending <laughs> right after this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, I, and I always peak week was, we started calling peak week because we knew that this was the, the last of it all. But we also knew that I was going to perform better than I had in any other day yeah. on this week, you know, or any other week on this week, you know. You're a, uh, you're a welterweight, I mean, for the majority of your career, did you, were you involved in many but really big cuts like the fighters i've spoken to both you at boxing ufc the weight cuts is something yeah. that i that, like in my sport you're trying to be you know big yeah. and ripped and yeah. you know, blah 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 there's no cutting yeah. no one yeah. cares how much you weigh yeah. like for you personally do you have like were you did you have to cut weight a lot i managed it yeah. i made it work 
You know, uh, I think that that's one thing that I have that a lot of fighters don't have. Um, once you get past the regimen and the nutritional side and all that, all those things, I started to connect mentally and emotionally to everything that I was doing. And once I started to do that, weight cutting was like just like shrugging. Hey, it is what it is. You know, huh. you hear uh, uh, Tim Zhu in, in the press co- conference. They're asking him how much weight he's got to lose. He's like, oh, you know, another kilo or two. You know, nothing. I'm like, that's how you handle it. You treat it like it's nothing, and then it's nothing. If you put so, a magnifying glass on it, and, oh my God, I got this. Now you are investing too much emotionally, mentally, and you start to drain yourself. You yeah. know, a lot of fighters don't know how to do that. Uh, yeah, you've been impressed by Tim Zoo, haven't you? I am. Yeah, and you've like growing with him. I am. I wouldn't say I'm growing with him. Um, even though I felt like his last fight against Tony Harrison, I felt like he, I was able to for myself see. What I what I perceive to be him growing in the moment, you know, um, as fighters, we never know when that big moment is coming. And oftentimes people say, oh, you're not ready for the biggest moment. The, over the, the talk about Tim in the last year and a half to two years is. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like, what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. He's not ready for Charlo yet. He doesn't have that kind of experience. He's never been in the ring on fight night with thousands of people, all those different things. But I thought that he really capitalized on that moment against Tony Harrison, and it showed me that he definitely has what it takes when that time comes. Yeah, I saw some quotes from you sort of saying maybe 12 months ago you maybe thought differently, but he's been able to sort of stay active. Yeah. Some people are saying like the fights that he's taking – it's been risky. Yeah. But it feels like you, as someone who would know what they're talking about, you're like, that's what you need to do. It's you- risky because you don't see fighters doing this. Right. Fighters aren't as busy as Tim Zhu has been. Right. I applaud that kid all day and all night because for him to have two fights heading into a, a big fight against Charlo, he needs those experiences. Mm. You know, if he decides to sit down and wait on Charlo, he doesn't get those experiences. That fight may end up a lot different than it than it then it's going to be. I have no doubt that that fight is going to be close now between him and and, and uh, between Tim Zhu and uh, and Jamel Charla. Why is it going to be close? Because Jamel's been sitting down. Jamel has been inactive. Jamel has had injuries and all these other things. Tim is soaking up the moments. He's building on his momentum. He's getting better. He's staying in training camp. He's staying active. I mean, it's a no-brainer. You'd be a fool to think that Tim Zhu is going to get rolled over by by uh, Jamel Charlo at this point. He's out there getting bitten by dogs. People are breaking into his car. I don't know his what's, what's going on. <laughs> I don't but, know, you know what's... Yeah. So, but, but take a look at that, though. Yeah. 
that's that's everybody's life. Mm. People get bit all the time. People get their cars, you know, uh, uh, jacked and all that kind of stuff all the time. But because of who he is, he's under that magnifying glass. Yeah. And where where anyone else would get bit, and they just have to recover, and they go on about their way. His cut, his bite is under a magnifying glass. Every single day, people want to know if it's healing. Every single day, people want to know: Are you still fighting? He's taking this and making it exactly what he needs to make it. We're human. We're professional athletes. You see everything that we do, but guess what? I'm gonna minimize everything so that it's not a big deal on mm. fight night. Mm. You know, and I just think that from a, a mental standpoint, and again, it's showing his maturity. You know. Talking about big deals, we spoke about it briefly, but that WC World Championship, the one that you go, I'm not coming back on this stage until I've got one. Yeah. What's that what's that um fight like? Like what's the what's the lead up to that? Do you feel under pressure? Or is it like uh I'm oh, I'm here for this. I'm this I'm made for this. I'm working on my uh, documentary right now. Cool. Um <clears throat> there's a lot of things that have gone on in my life and in my career that a lot of people aren't privy to. And I'm looking forward to this documentary uh, coming out and being able to show everyone kind of the truths and things like that. But I'll fast forward to, to, to fight night. Fight night, we had a game plan where we were going to force the counterpuncher to punch first. That's Danny Garcia. He's a counterpuncher by nature. He likes to wing a left hook right over your right hand, a right hook or a left hook right through your jab and knock you clean out. Mm. And we knew if we the best way to beat him is by taking that away from him early and then and then and then going after him late in the fight. And so the first couple of rounds we're we're kind of laid back, just kind of like boxing, staying on the outside, not that inside brawling aggressive attack that I normally have. I was gonna say that's that's you. That's the that's kind of that had become the norm for me. But we felt with this one, let's switch it up and do we have to switch it up and do something different because that plays into his rhythm. Mm. So let's take his rhythm away from him. Then we did that, took his rhythm away, and probably around sixth or seventh round, we started turning up round after round, started taking it to him round after round, and we win that fight. Funny thing is to circle all the way back to when I won the IBF. Didn't know how to respond. Didn't knew that I won every single round, so I knew that I won the fight. With this one, it still felt close. Even though we felt like our game plan worked to a T, still felt close. So there's this uncomfortable ability with the rest of the like how how's this decision gonna go you know and so i'm standing in the middle of the ring and truly feeling like i won the fight but just i gotta hear it you know and man when i heard my name called it was it was weird man it was i had the same feeling as when my first child was born my first child just comes comes out and i was like wow you're there you know what i mean like here, here you are you know and the same thing with the WBC title. It was like, wow, I, I heard it. It's real, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You said we a lot. Boxing's a single single sport, single athlete sport. <laughs> yeah. I I think, again, people who don't know boxing would be like, wow, there are two guys in the ring yeah. by themselves. Yeah. It's a team, right? Yeah. So when you win that yeah. and you got your dad in the corner, yeah. What's that feeling like? Because yeah. it's not individual, is it? I now, know it's an individual goal, but it's not individual. Once you once you go out there in the middle of the ring, it's individual. Sure. Uh, but if you're in tune with your camp, your coaching, your coaches, they're coaching us while we're out there in the ring. 
Mm. And a lot of fighters that may feel alone in the ring, they don't have that same kind of camaraderie and team, yes. at least not the kind that I had. My dad was right there in my corner. I'm hearing instructions while I'm in the ring. As I'm coming back to the corner, I'm getting instructions. I'm getting the hard finger-pointing instructions in the corner before the next round, all that. And so what I what I realized really early on in my career was that I wouldn't be where I was without my dad. And so my language just changed. It was everything became we, became we, became we. And to this day, I looked at my dad the other day. I said, I don't know if you realize this, but I say you, you're, I, I bring you up in every interview that I do. He said, yeah, I, I recognize that. I said, I don't do it on purpose, but everything that I know is because of what you and what we have done. He said, yeah, I, I get it. But that's how I am, you know. So yeah, even though this was as you know in the middle of the ring, it's one on one. It's always been team for me. Must have been a proud moment. Yeah. Like if it's you comparing oh, yeah. it to your oh, birth yeah. of your first child, that's we yeah. Oh man, yeah. And then um, the WBC they have a title for the for the the coaches as well. So huh. there was the the WBC in the ring for me, that belt for me, and then there was a belt for my dad. Really. That's cool. And they briefed us before the fight. Listen, if you guys win, we're going to bring this belt over to you for your dad. We want you to put it on your dad's shoulder. And I'm like, they call my name, and I'm just like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. You know, And my dad's bumping me like, hey, put the belt over me. I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to soak this up. Leave me alone. I need a moment. You know? <laughs> Be a soft dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What's it like? Uh, like come, I'm assuming you're in like a, like a dressing room or, you know. Uh, after like you've out in the ring, you have cameras, your people. Yeah. You can you remember? About, can you remember like coming back and like everything stopping and you, then? Do you talk about what I miss mm. in 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 on fight night and things like that? Sure. I miss before the fight and I miss after the fight. Mm. Before the fight, you arrive, and I don't I don't know about other fighters, but this is how I felt. Always felt when you arrive, they got you in like a shuttle or a big SUV or whatever, and we jump out. I mean, we are a team. We're we're an army. We're soldiers, and everybody's right behind me. You know what I mean? My dad is literally right behind my shoulder, and then the rest of the team just follows the cameras. They they got the cameras on you, and for me, it was always that I have arrived moment. You know what I mean? Mm. And then <clears throat> you go into the locker room, and when that door closes to the locker room, it's like everything that matters closes off. And the only thing that matters is this fight, this opponent, this game plan, these these people in here, my coaches, my team. And if we got loved ones, th those are the only people that matter. Everything, you close everything. You go out there to the ring, you put it down, you hope you had the best night of your life. And then when you leave the room or you leave the arena and you come back into that, 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 that room, mm. now everybody else is in there waiting on you, you know. The family is there. The close friends that are there. The pastor is there. Everybody's there waiting on you. And it's it's that I have arrived moment again, you know. And that's what I miss most about the professional boxing game because to me those were the moments that I enjoyed wholeheartedly without anything else. In the ring, you enjoy hitting somebody else. Yeah, from time to time you you know, you, you make a slip and you you land a good punch, you like, man, I got you right there. Like you know, let's keep it going, you know. You can't can't reflect on that too long. Let's keep it going, you know. You enjoy some moments, but it's happening so fast. It's going so fast. That that arrival moment and that that arrive that second arrival moment back into the ring or back into the room, win, lose or draw, 
those were the, the best moments for me. Those are the ones I miss. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, a couple more questions, mate. And you've been very, very uh, uh, appreciative of your time. Thank you. I appreciate um, you, man. Uh, the, the walkout songs. How, mm. uh, how is it, you do you spend? You got a guy that spends time on that, or you're like just play anything. I don't care. Uh, music was always in the room with me when I when I trained, when I ran, whatever I did. I even tried to got to a point where I was trying to get headphones in my ears while I was swimming. They never stayed in. Put put a, uh, he, a headband on one time. They never never stayed in. I put a big shower cap on. Could never keep the music in when I swim. But music was always present for me. Yeah. And so what I noticed I would do was when I would be doing something and I would start to hear the same song over and over, I would say, that's that's the one for this fight. Mm. For a long time, my walkout music was God and Me by Mary Mary. And because I always felt like when I performed, it, you you may think that this kid's good. You may think that this guy's got it all. Like it, it's the God in me. Like I have these abilities. I have this talent because God has put it in me. You know, mm. um, I started to branch out and do some other things um, near the end of my career. Um, but it was always gospel. The very last fight is a rap song by a rapper by the name of Rhapsody. Uh, she's from um, she's from America. I don't remember exactly where she's from. The name of the song is Godzilla, so it's not technically a Christian song. But when I listened to the music, I was trying to figure out what am I going to do for this walkout. I need something big, and I had never wanted to use any any type of rap artist. Anyone walk me to the ring? I just felt like it was always sloppy. But we were able to put that together. Big E. As a friend of mine from the WWE, nice. we called him up. We said, "Hey, can you put this together and um, do? We want to do this for the intro." And he and he comes uh, and almost is almost like a preacher, and pre like kind of preaches me my my entrance. And then she walks me to the ring singing a song, you know. So wow, yeah. For me, with that one, I think we put that together the week before the fight. Uh, but prior to that, had never really put much time into a ring walk. Yes. But with this one, knowing it was my last fight, I was like, man, I gotta go, gotta go all out for I this. I got a little shit. That sounds. Yeah. That sounds good. Look, you guys can look it up on YouTube. It ended up. I think it ended up being the number one walkout of the year for twenty twenty one. I wish we had that. We never get that. Yeah. People just clapping and bloody streamers and banners. Now I'm gonna tell you what you're gonna do. So you cut now. So that's gone. You guys don't see that, but you cut to the video. Oh, don't worry. The we got the team on it. Yeah, don't worry. You guys know what you're doing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's good. It'll, it'll be over the top. It'll be playing. It'll be going yeah, in and out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's okay? You've, you've won some massive fights. You've fought in you know some huge arenas. Yeah. Um, uh, the the crowd like is that ever something that you think about? Can you hear, mm -hmm. or are you like tunnel vision? Yeah. Speak to a lot of sports nah. people here. Like the crowd's different for everyone. Here's the truth: If you guys look at any fight of me walking to the ring, you'll see me looking up and mm. looking around. I am. I'm very like outside of what I do. I'm very humble. I like to be like kind of. I'm like a introvert and an introvert at the same time, or extrovert at the same time. I don't know how it happens, but it's that way. Um, so, but when I fought, I needed all eyes on me. And so when I would come to the ring, the, the, the arena had to be full. If the arena was full, I was going to have a great night, you know? 
Um, there's and there hasn't been very many fights where I walk to the ring and I'm like, where's everybody at? You know. <laughs> <laughs> what about the wins? You you know, clearly once you go pro, you're starting to win some money. Yeah. Oh, let me let me one more thing about the the yeah. crowd. Give it to you. My last fight, knowing what kind of style I had to use for this fight, I had to for the sake where it starts slow, like didn't really. Terrence and I, neither one of us really engaged in that first round. In in that first round, maybe maybe near the half point of the fight, of that first round, you hear people start to boo a little bit. And they start to boo, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't say this out loud, but I'm thinking to myself, not yet. Be patient, y'all. Not yet. Because I know they want that 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 bad, that big bang. Yeah. But I knew that that wasn't the right kind of style to fight against him. And I knew early it was going to be, it wouldn't be good for me, you know? And so I hear people booing and I've always been in touch with just about anything that happens in the ring, you know? Huh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Some, Cause some, some guys and girls are like, never heard it, never looked at it. It's just I had, like. I had a saying, my saying was, I don't condone booze, you know? And so I, nothing that I do is boring. Nothing that I do isn't, everything that I do is fun, you know? And so I don't condone booing, but I knew when I heard booze and I was like, I knew this was coming. I was like, but you guys got to be patient with this one, you know, because I can't just rush in there, you know. <laughs> All right, so you've like won some big fights. I'm assuming there's some big money on the end of those things. You, you ever just, just go on and bought something stupid? You look back and go, what am I doing here, man? What, what oh, no, what I, I haven't. No, really? I haven't. No. That's good. Actually, uh, I, was, I leased a um, Porsche, and uh, I just returned it last year, I think. And why, like, I guess maybe I was trying to just console myself because I knew that I wasn't gonna get another one. I wasn't gonna upgrade and things like that. It's like I don't even know why I bought you. Like, I literally having a conversation. Like, you, you, you've been a waste of my life. I wasted gas. You just been sitting there, like literally, like just having it in. One of the final conversations with the car. I mean, know? in a Porsche. Though. What was your first car? Do you remember your first car? Oh, I didn't ask you that I off the top. Remember my first car. 2000 uh, Chevy Impala. Wow. Yeah. Color? Got it all white. It was white. It had, um, it was a security car on the lot. So when I bought it, they left the security windows, the, the security lights on it. Oh. I mean, they work the whole night. I could be in the car, I could tilt it and push the button and it'll shine on, on people. <laughs> then my dad and I, we went and tinted the, the windows really dark. Wow. And people in Akron, really thought that I was le like a legit security car. I promise, true story, you would see people see like walking and they turn the other way. You see people walking and they they start walking a little bit faster. You I saw somebody ended up being a friend of mine. First he had never hadn't seen the car. He stops and he's and he's looking, he's looking. My dad rolls the windows down and say, "Hey, what you doing out here?" <laughs> "Oh, coach, man. I, I was about to run. I thought you was the police." We had so much fun with that car, man. <laughs> driving around. Yeah. <laughs> Showed one of the policemen yeah. driving around. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and do this. One more story about this car. Please. So it was, a, it was a security car, so it didn't have the middle council. Yeah. And when I first got the car, my dad didn't have his license. So when we would, when we would go on long trips and we'd have to drive five to six hours, something like that, he'd say, when I drive, if, if by chance I get pulled over or anything like that, you sit down in the middle because there's no council right there. There's just seat, space, seat. You sit down in the middle. I'll go over you, and then you get back, and then you get over there. We never had to do that. <laughs> uh, disclaimer: We never had to do that, but it's just, it was a fun car. That's unreal. <laughs> I mean, it yeah. sounds like you had some fun times. Yeah. Um, 
Mate, we're probably going to rack this up. I think you've got a, some uh, obligations today. Um, we do finish every podcast with uh, some fa- questions from our fans. So I've got a couple. We call this, so my last name's Schofield. So it's not social oh, media. Schofield. Social media. Oh, you like skill, that? You see what we did there? Social media. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Social media. This is by the fans for you. You've heard enough from me. It's awesome. Chippy88. Um, he wants to know how is the Aussie boxing perceived in the States? Uh, I, I tried to be as nice as possible be yesterday honest. when I answered this question, but um, ugh, you over here, it's like you guys don't really touch the States. Mm. Tim is going to be the first fighter in a long time that I know of, and I'm, I'm going to disclaimer right now, I don't know I'm not a boxing historian. So I obviously know Tim Zoo's dad. And I know that his dad has made a lot of noise in the United States. And for me, I do believe that he'll be the first fighter to do it since his dad. So very poetic right there. But for the most part, um, you guys don't really get to touch that elite level enough to start performing in the U.S., you know? Yeah. And I think that... Uh, when boxing is not happening in the U.S., it it's somewhat irrelevant unless you're a Joshua, even Tyson Fury. When he fights in the states, people come. But when he fights, when he fights outside of the states, people are like, "Okay, cool, that's that's cool," you know. So I think Tim is he's definitely got the country on his shoulders. That's good. I got a couple of uh, rogue ones for you. Tub Nation asks, "What's the most?" <laughs> I, I don't think they have. What's the most amount of wheat picks you've eaten in one sitting? Do you know what? I don't even know what the hell that is. <laughs> so it's like a type of cereal here in Australia. Oh yeah, I've never they're had like, that before. They're like um, little rectangle, like uh, wheat, like all compacted together. Okay. So like, what's well, like? Uh, so there was like this thing back in like the nineties. Yeah, 90s. like wheaties. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. like they're like little square things, like yeah. rectangle things. Not Wheaties, Weedables. I think it's called Weedables. With so the like little it, frosting, does well, that frosting? In the States, that? they'd be this big. In yeah. Australia, they're like that long. Oh. And it's probably this thick. Oh. And you got to put milk with it. Oh. And like back in the day, it was like a thing that athletes here is like how many wheat pieces? Uh, like okay. how can you eat? Like Brett Lee was smashing out 15 as a cricketer. Dang. Yeah, so. How many, I what know, about you? Mate, I was not a big wheat beaks either. No. I couldn't do it. Yeah. It's like the wheat bix challenge where you don't put milk with it and you, you eat them eat dry. <laughs> yeah, and you're like spitting out. So I don't think you have an answer for me. No, uh, I don't. Um, Tappy87 asks, how do you <laughs> like your eggs cooked? Sincerely, the egg man. I am a sunny side up kind of guy. Okay. I just have some sunny sides Good. this morning. Yeah. Good. Uh, and last one from Chippy88, most difficult opponent to prepare for. Back to, back to fighting, back to boxing. Who was the guy that you were like? Or maybe... Was there a guy that you didn't fight that you were like, geez, would like to have fought him? I, know, I mean, I know you never fought Floyd. Yeah. I think for me, every camp was like serious. Mm. Every camp, didn't matter who the, the 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 opponent was. It was like, we are working hard and we're getting ready. You know, um, I think the one guy out there that I always wanted to fight or that I, that I, that I thought I genuinely wanted to fight was Tim, um, uh, Tim, um, uh, wow. Now I'm drawing a blank. Um, Timothy Bradley. Yes. Yes. Excuse me. Um, Timothy Bradley was just, to me, he's, he's one of the best fighters to, to do it at welterweight. And, uh, he's just got into the hall of fame last weekend, the international boxing hall of fame. 
and uh, boxing fans out there that know Tim. Uh, that act's actually, it was funny because I just looked at that fight when I was younger. I was like, man, he was already retired. I was like, man, that would have been a good fight for everybody right there. It wasn't really just about me fighting and beating him. It was like I wanted to give the world something, you know. Yes. And then people started to talk about that fight. Like, man, that would have been a badass fight right there. And I was like, yep. So we've talked about it too. He he's like, yeah, man, I it would have been nothing but headbutts. I'm like, yeah, right, man. That would have been a great fight. That's unreal. Yeah. Sean Showtime pulled up. That, that, how does Showtime? How do you get? How do you get Showtime? Do you get to pick that yourself? Uh, it it worked out for me. My dad picked that name for me, and uh, probably started calling me Showtime when I was around fifteen or sixteen. And um, I remember being on like international teams as an amateur. Yes. And nobody had any nicknames. There were only a couple fighters that had like yes. actual ring names. And I remember trying to come into the room with Showtime and people were like, get the hell out of here. What are you talking about? <laughs> You're Sean Porter. <laughs> <laughs> but it really, I, I walked down the street in New York and I and I'll hear people say, hey, Showtime. You know, it's really, it's really caught. And um, I've even entertained the thought of, uh, Changing my, my, my first name to officially Showtime. Actually? Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. had a guy here in Australia that did that uh, Buddha Hawking. His name was Gary Hawking. Uh-huh. And he changed his name um, for two weeks to Whiskers. Um, it was a brand of cat food. And he changed, uh, he got a sponsorship deal. <laughs> so his, and he was the first guy first name anywhere. Had he changed his name officially to Whiskers for two yeah. weeks? Oh, wow. Because they gave him like, gave him a cat food sponsorship yeah. deal. So don't do that. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so Showtime's better than Whiskers. I give you that. Uh, I know you're done, mate. Um, if you've loved what Sean's had to say, the Port Away podcast, yeah. you guys are doing great things over on YouTube. Thank you, man. Um, I want to do this to Port Away before we get out of here. Please. So on the Port Away, what we do at the end of every episode is we do motivation. Okay. That motivation has, I've seen people out and they've, literally said you've saved my life with your motivation you have changed my life with your motivation you got me through this and that with your motivation and it just i'm like man i'm truly living in my purpose and very very grateful for that Mm. and so i'm gonna put you on the spot you got any motivation for your for your school school media fans motivation yeah probably um like i look back at my career uh, now you're gonna have to go and study up, up on this yourself. I will, so. honestly, I will. Um, I was the most dropped <coughs> player in my team's history of that entire organization. So in boxing, that's not a good no, <laughs> right? Um, but I wear that with a bit of a bit of a badge. Um, I, I think that because I was dropped so much, I used to have to, um, you know, show adversity, show resilience. Um, fight through that adversity, I should say. And mm-hmm. um, everything in life isn't just given to you. And, you know, certainly for me anyway, it's like yeah. even post-footy, like this stuff that we're doing here on yeah. Back Chat, yeah. you got to work hard. And yeah. and life doesn't always go the way you want it to. Like, And so for my, my sporting career, what I've actually learned coming out into like the business world and, and podcasts and mm-hmm. media is you need to work hard yeah. and it's not going to go your way. Yeah. Um, and that's all right, though. And yeah. you're gonna have like real hard times. Yeah. You're gonna, you know, come up against it, and you're gonna, you know, look at some things. And you go, I don't know how you, how I'm gonna get through this, but yeah. you know, usually it works out okay. If you just, I'm, I'm very, very appreciative of that. Yeah. You know, um, that is, I think people all the time you say, man, it sounds cliche to just never give up, but you are a walking, walking testimony of 
where never giving up gets you. It's gonna you work. Know? Just like, gotta work. I know it's like sometimes about like, how's 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 post career training. I'm like, oh, like I'm working harder now than I did as an athlete. Yeah. Like as an athlete, you got you got this staff behind you. You got scheduling. You've got fans. You've got all this stuff. Yeah. Out here in the real world, it's like. <laughs> I'm working my ass off, yeah. and and I I did as an athlete, but I work harder now. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I learn a lot through sport, like, yeah. and, and but it's more like life lessons. Very good. Like that. Very good. Yeah, man. It's Absolutely. Yeah. That's a great question. For me, um, I was walking yesterday with a couple of fighters, and um, that are you coming back? I'm like, no. It's like, man, you just seem so happy. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy. Mm. I'm 100 percent happy. And that everything that I needed to do to get right here. You know, and I said, how many fighters after their careers get to travel the world and still make money? Hmm. So, well, I mean, Floyd's doing it, but outside of Floyd, how many fighters truly get to travel the world and make money? And I'll piggyback off of what you just said. It is a matter of never giving up, having goals, and achieve, doing what it takes to achieve those goals. You know, my, my goal was never to be the um, best fighter in the world. It was just, just not my goal. But my goal definitely is to be the best boxing po- uh, podcaster, commentator in the world. And I'm in Australia where a lot of other people are at home waiting on their next call with one specific network. I get to go anywhere, do anything with every network, and everybody appreciates me, man. And I appreciate it. So He gets it. Get oh, it. Man. You got to get it. Sean Showtime Porter, mate. We appreciate your time. You got Thank it, you sir. very much. I'm not going to let you do that again. Showtime, Sean Porter. Sorry, my man. Showtime, Sean Porter. My, please, they'll, they'll edit please, no please, worries. please, no <laughs> please take my sincere apologies. Uh, you know how to do this as well. You're going to find us on socials, backchat double underscore or backchat underscore studios. You can find us over there. Uh, Showtime, hello at backchatpodcast.com.au. You can send us an email. A big thank you to our supporters and partners and people that made this happen. KO Sports, thank you very much. Uh, Fleet Network powering the podcast for 2023. We've got Swimply, Whippersnapper Whiskey, Muggle River Roasting Co., Blue Bet, Shelter Brewing Co., Leaderville Cameras, and all the best stuff for our VIPs at Patreon. Thank you very much. Thank you, my man. <laughs>